Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. I read that the African Impala is known for its remarkable jumping ability. In fact, they say that an Impala can jump as high as 10 feet high and can span as far as 30 feet. Can you imagine? It's crazy, isn't it? So you would just assume that zookeepers would have a you know, pretty tough time keeping an impala in an enclosure. I mean, it would have to be, you know, like what, 12 feet high? I mean, I don't even know. That's what you would think, but that's actually not the case. So I read by at least those that are supposed to know such things is that impalas actually can be kept in enclosures with maybe only a three-foot high fence. Why? Simple. Because they won't jump over what they can't see on the other side. So even if it's only three foot, if they can't clearly see where they're going to land on the other side, fear of the unknown will keep them in an enclosure that they could easily jump. In the wild, they're known for running away from lions when they appear. But the fear that makes a line, uh, makes them run from a predator is not the same fear that holds them behind zoo walls. One is the fear of being eaten. Maybe they would jump that three-foot fence if there was a line behind him. I don't know. I just made that up. I, who knows? But there's a different fear from the fear of being, eating, being eaten and the fear of the unknown. So, all window logic is dictated by some type of fear, and the fear of the unknown can be one of those fears. Now, if you're you know, first time with us, you don't even have any idea at all what window logic means, then let me just try to go back maybe to week one of the series and try to catch you up. So King David, y'all remember King David? It seems like everybody knows King David, whether you're a church person or not. Remember the little shepherd boy, King, uh, little, little bitty shepherd boy? Before he became the great king, he was a little shepherd boy. And remember, he defeated Goliath. Remember that, David? Well, now, this, now this David is king. And so King David had been dreaming for years that the Ark of the Covenant would be returned to Jerusalem. Israel lost it in battle to the Philistines. If you're like brand new to church, the Ark of the Covenant, what was the Ark of the Covenant? Well, I mean, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> Is that a great Bible lesson? Go home and watch Raiders of the Lost Ark if you want to know the details of the Ark of the Covenant. So it contained the Ten, uh, the Ten Commandments, but it, there was more to it than that. See, the reason that it was treasured so was because it, it represented the presence and the power of God. What David longed for was to be in the presence of God, to experience the power of God, absolutely, but it's more than just the power of God. It was the presence of God that he missed. Anyway, bringing it back to Jerusalem where it belonged was, was huge, which explains why thousands and thousands of people left their shops and their homes, and they filled the streets of Jerusalem to get a, a glimpse of history past. And they'd only heard. They'd never seen it. Many of them had never seen it for themselves. They'd only heard the stories. Maybe some had even forgotten about the Ark of the Covenant. 
And so now that it was coming back, there's, those stories were being told and people were excited and so they couldn't wait to get out into the street and finally to see for themselves this, this thing that represented the power and the presence of God. And then they were going to be a part of history being made. I'm just saying that the ark coming back to Jerusalem was a really, really, really big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that he took off his royal robes. He took off his royal robes and he, he wrapped his linen garments up around in his waist and he started dancing in the streets with the common folk. He started dancing in the streets with the people that he knew. Maybe he knew best. Maybe he didn't understand palace people near as well as he understood common people because he had been raised as a what? As a shepherd. He was one of those common people. And so the ark was, was back. And so he said, you know what? I just want, I just want to be in the street with my, with my people. But the streets were not where kings were expected to be. And dancing alongside working class people was just an embarrassment to his wife, the queen, who had never understood what it really meant to walk among common folks. She had been raised in the palace. Her, her dad was King Saul. So he was partying like it was 1999 while she sat up in the palace looking down from her window. Now you understand window logic? So I'm just saying that window logic is, is small thinking. It's always small thinking. Anytime you are in the window watching other people dance in the street, anytime you're watching from afar, there's always some kind of fear. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. She didn't know what it was like to hang out with the common folk. She had an image to protect. I mean, after all, she was the queen. And queens are not supposed to have it all together, right? And in fact, I've been told, I remember several years ago being told by our first capital stewardship campaign that we went through, I met with the guy that was in charge of us uh, over that particular company. And so he, he met with me. I'll never forget this. The very first meeting, we, we introduced ourselves to each other. And he said, uh, how are you doing? Are you okay? I said, man, I'm scared to death. He said, really? I said, yeah, really. So then he gave me a speech. He said, listen, now, you're a leader, and don't you, don't you go into this meeting. We're going to have a meeting in a few minutes. There were probably about 20, 25 people in this meeting, and, and you, you can tell me that you're afraid, but don't go into that room. Don't you tell your people that you're afraid. They don't need to see fear in the face of a leader. You know what I did? I walked in that room, and the first thing I said is, I'm scared to death. He looked at me like I was crazy. I understand what it what it feels like to have somebody try to project an image on you. You don't want people to see that. Maybe that's how she was. So window watching is always based on some form of fear that causes people to pull away in an effort to protect their image. So we're afraid to step out and take a chance. Yeah, if you were here last week, then you're afraid to be a risk taker. You're afraid to be a faith walker. Boy, that sounded good, didn't it? I didn't write that in my notes. Now, if you're super spiritual, you might say, I'm not afraid. I, I'm, not, I'm not afraid. I ain't scared. I'm just being overly cautious as I pray this through. But here's what I've learned. If we work on our junk, 
And as you work on your junk, you get honest. And it doesn't matter what your junk is. Can I just say that? Make sure you understand. We're a recovery church. So everybody in this room is recovering from something. Y'all with me? We all messed up. Just on different levels. But we're all messed up. And when you get honest and start dealing with your junk, then you know what you'll start to do. You'll start to label your fears. Maybe yours is the fear of rejection. Maybe it's the fear of inadequacy. Maybe it's the fear of failure. Maybe it's the, be, uh, the fear of being found out. Maybe it's the fear of being shut out. Maybe, maybe yours is the fear of abandonment. That's what I finally, it took me a long time. It, it was, I felt so stupid when, when the Holy Spirit revealed to me that the issue that I had been dealing with my whole life was the fear of abandonment. My dad died when I was 10, and after that, it just seemed like every best friend, every person that, we, that I put my trust in abandoned me at some point in time in my life. It was interesting to me that when I discovered that one of the things that had been holding me back, that was, that was keeping me in the window watching other people dance, was just the fear of abandonment. Well, this... Window logic is what the Apostle Paul was addressing when he wrote to this young, this young, young pastor, young, young pastor named Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, let me give you a quick backstory on Timothy. Uh, Timothy was Paul's young protege. And I love this. I love this. According to theologians, I don't know how they know all the stuff that they claim to know, but according to them, he was maybe in his late teens, early 20s. All the young people said, is that what you say? I don't even know. I don't even know what the cool thing to say is anymore. So he was young. And he was the pastor of this church in Ephesus, which was having a few problems. And young Timothy was receiving instructions from Paul on how to deal with these issues. And so here's what he tells this young pastor. He says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit that God gave us, this wonderful, blessed gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit that God gave us does not make us timid. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be afraid. Because what the Spirit does is He gives us power and love and self-discipline. I love this passage. I absolutely love this passage. Well, of course I do. I'm, I'm a pastor, and he's speaking directly to pastor, to a pastor. And well, he's speaking to a young pastor. I ain't no young pastor, but you don't have to be a young pastor to be overwhelmed from time to time by fear. You don't have to be 21 and be overwhelmed by fear. You can be 51, 61, 71 and have lived your whole life sitting in the window watching other people dance all because you're afraid. I've learned anything from being a pastor, it's how easy it is to shrink back and sit in the window and never attempt to be vulnerable and dance in the street. That's, this whole campaign, can I just be honest, this whole campaign is exactly that. I remember that I had been praying through for a long time. I just look at this debt and think, my goodness, we're, we're just, I hate debt. Karen and I hate debt. We've done everything we know how to do for us to personally to be debt-free. I hate debt. I've never seen anything good come out of debt. I can hear you, Rob. I know. I know. You're going to whisper in my ear and tell me some different stuff. I'm just saying, for us, it's a church. And I look at that money, and I think, what could we do with that money? 
And so I remember I was, I was minding my own business, sitting on a bus, headed out to the, this house that we were building in Guatemala, and I ended up talking to the guy right beside me. And I said some stuff, and I went, well, where did that come from? Y'all ever had that? Like the Holy Spirit throws you out there, and then like when he throws you out there, you, think, you, think he just, you feel like he just threw you off a cliff? Just me and maybe one other? So I remember what it was like as we took time to pray through and to say, God, what do you want us to do? And then, and then it was, well, you know, I know, I know that we have, there's some renovations that we've got to make. We absolutely, we've got to make next door. We've got to make it better. Our children deserve better. You know what? CR deserves better. Our youth deserve better. And so we've got to make some, we've got to make some improvement next door. And we've got to pay off this debt. How in the world are we going to do that? And we, and we prayed. And I remember, I remember sitting in the management team meeting one night. I can't tell you all what I said, but I remember. I remember everybody looking at me and saying, man, you know what? There's a good chance. I mean, and I remember looking at this team saying, there's no way this is going to happen unless God shows up. It's impossible. I remember some of those guys early on thinking, well, we got, we got money people in the church. I said, wrong church. We'll take the top ten givers. I, I can't tell you all everything, but I can tell you the top two ten givers, they don't even go to Springwell. Y'all didn't hear me really, did you? The top two givers of Springwell Church. They don't even go here. I could top that. I just can't do it publicly. I just, I just can't. I remember being faced with the challenge. Am I going to sit in the window? Am I going to sit in the window and watch? Am I going to sit in the window and watch because I'm afraid of failure? Or are we going to dare to dance in the street? I'm just saying. So Paul is telling young Timothy to be strong and be bold because he seems to have this, this timid streak in him. Maybe he's scared because he's a young pastor of a troubled church and he has an even larger area to supervise. So I wrote this. I think it's funny. Y'all probably won't. Let me just read it. I said, maybe he was a man of normal courage who just had an enormous responsibility. I can tell y'all didn't really. I thought he was awesome. Maybe that's just to, you know, to make me feel better about myself sometimes. I have, I have a fair amount of courage. I just have an enormous amount of responsibility. Anyway, so Paul, Paul wrote this letter to Timothy shortly before he's executed, which means that he, as he wrote this letter and tells him to not be timid, he is locked away, chained to a guard, 24-7, awaiting his execution. Now, I'm just saying, if a guy like that, in that condition, with that bleak of a future, can look at me and say, you don't have to be afraid, I'm buying what he's selling. How about you? At least I am. Maybe Timothy was fearful of losing Paul as his mentor. Maybe he was afraid of ending up in prison and being executed like Paul. Maybe, maybe Timothy was the kind of man that was a little bit afraid of confrontation. And I say that because there's no less than 25 different places in First and Second Timothy where Paul encouraged Timothy to be bold and not be shy and not too shy away from confrontation. For whatever the reason, Paul felt like that 
Timothy needed to hear, don't, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because the spirit that God gave us. Honestly, the last thing that some of y'all need to hear is to be more confrontational. I've met some of you, and you've got confrontation down to an art. Well, maybe art is the right, not the right word. Maybe train wreck would better describe your style of confrontation. Y'all with me? So Paul says this. He says, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. So the Greek word here means, I love this. This is awesome. And you, you know, when you study, you need to go a little bit deeper than just the surface stuff. And that's the idea of stoking up a fire to keep it burning bright. If y'all have ever built a campfire, if you've ever camped, if you've ever built a fire in a fireplace, then you know that every so often you have to continue to stoke that fire to keep that fire burning bright. So, so Paul wanted Timothy to fan, to fan into flame the gift of God. I have known far too many Christians over the years that have burned out and flamed out, fouled out. It's baseball season. We hope. while using the gift that God has given them. And so Paul saw that the fear that was holding him back from using his gifts and fulfilling his call, and he said, it's, it's time now to jump over the fence of fear. you got, you got to, come on, Timothy. I believe in you. You can do this. Then he says this. For the spirit that God gave us. The spirit that God gave us does not make us timid if anybody could speak to the spirit of God and what the spirit of God could do it would have again it would have been this guy let me tell you what fear will do fear, fear will cause you to doubt whether or not you even have a spiritual gift Spirit, once you begin to doubt, you'll, you'll doubt whether or not you even have any kind of spiritual gift at all. Then let me tell you what, you, you will start to doubt your own salvation. You'll, be, you'll begin to wonder, well, does God in me? I mean, what I feel right now, I mean, this is nasty, this is terrible. How could God possibly use somebody like me? And if you stay there too long, you'll begin to doubt your own salvation. How in the world could somebody like me possibly be saved? And then if you go there far enough, you will begin to doubt the very existence of God. How are you ever going to step out in faith to be used by God if you doubt the very presence of God? So Paul says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. So I guess maybe the first step in jumping the fence of fear is to understand that the fear that we feel is not from God. Man, this works. You, know, you don't want to know where I got this? I got this from living life in the real world. That's, that's where I got this. It's super important to say this isn't God that's making me feel this way. God did not. God did not give me this fear. And we all face situations where we're afraid. For some, it's the fear of failure. For some, it's the fear of confrontation. Some are, are afraid of rejection. How about the fear of looking stupid? Any, anybody suffer from the fear of looking stupid? I just made that one other because that's one of those fears that I have suffered from over the years. I hate games. I hate board games. I believe that they were created by Satan to destroy the human race. 
at least to destroy strong friendships. There's so much competition and stuff happens and families are destroyed. I'm telling you, Monopoly came from hell. I'm just telling you. My greatest fear in board games, boy, I, I don't really like saying this. My greatest fear in playing board games is that I'll look stupid. I, I know there's a lot of board game playing people here. I mean that, I mean that in love, of course. And so over the years, I've been, I've been challenged. Come on, play. Just come on, play. And I said, I don't, I don't want to. I'm, I'm scared. I, I'm afraid. I remember somebody taught me in a playing game one time. I'll never forget this. And I have some kind of Pictionary thing. I don't even know what you call it. You know, I don't know what games are. But I know I was over a table and I was having to draw. I couldn't even draw a stick man. I was supposed to draw something. And I got so worked up, literally, I saw sweat drop from my forehead to the paper. Have you, have you ever been in a situation where you were so afraid that you were just stuck? And you were thinking to yourself, I know I'm not this stupid. I'm, I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. Have you ever thought that? You know, Like, I'm stupid, but I'm not that stupid. I know that I do have some ability. But in that moment, it stops you where you are. And so you sit in the window, or like me, you will sit in another room. I don't even want to be in the room when people are playing games. All because you have this fear. So the fear doesn't come from God. So what does come from God? Well, Paul says this. He says, for the Spirit of God, the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power. Come on now. How many people like power? That was, that was awful. Power is what I'm talking about. One of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit is power. The Holy Spirit was powerful at the moment of creation, Genesis 1, verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then, and then in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus himself, this is what Jesus says. He says, but I, I, being Jesus, am casting out demons by the Spirit of God. Then the kingdom of God has arrived. And then according to Luke 135, it was, it was the Spirit of God that caused, that created this, this young virgin named Mary, who had never been, with, never been sexually with anyone, had never been sexually with a man, and caused her to become pregnant with the Savior of the world. That was the Spirit of God. Are y'all with me? Come on. It was the Holy Spirit. You take, you take the disciples. Jesus is, is dead on a cross. They've buried him in a tomb, and the disciples are stowed away in, a, in an upper room, scared out of their minds. They were afraid, but it was the Spirit of God that gave them power. The kind of power where, where, where Peter could stand in front of thousands of people and proclaim the good news that Jesus was not dead, but that he was alive. Come on. He gives us power. And then he says that the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but He gives us power and He gives us love. I think that's an interesting term in this context, don't you? That He gives us love. Hey, do y'all know anybody, if you just be honest, don't raise your hand, you might be sitting beside them right now, but you would just say, yeah, there's some hard people loving this world. <laughs> anybody? Again, you don't have to raise your hand. You not, some of y'all going right now, you're going, that's probably not good. 
I have found in the ministry that my greatest challenge is not loving lovable people. It's easy to love lovable people. It's easy to love people that love me. What's difficult, what the challenge is, is when God puts me face to face with somebody that I know doesn't even like me, much less love me. And those people that have been, or those people that have been so beaten up and battered in life that they have up these high walls all around them and they won't let you near them. And they become difficult so that they can keep a distance. You just can't love unlovable, challenging people without the Spirit of God loving them through you. And then he says this. There's this interesting word. I love this word. He says self-discipline. So what else is the Holy Spirit going to give you? He's going to give you power. He's going to give you love. And then he says the word self-discipline. Now, I bet y'all think you know what the word self-discipline means. Let me tell you what it means. It's an ancient Greek word here that had the idea, watch this now, of a calm, self-controlled mind in contrast to the panic and confusion that comes in a fearful situation. You know what kind of leader you want around you? You want the kind of leader around you that when things get really, really bad, you're on the front line and it looks like you're about to lose everything you've got. They're about, the enemy is about to approach, shoot, and kill you. You need the kind of leader that can stand up and say, we can do this. That there's a calm. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Calm. Paul wrote this to Timothy because boldness matters. Without it, we can't fulfill God's purpose in our lives. And God's purpose force is more than making money, being entertained, being comfortable. It's for each of us to use the gifts that God's given us to touch the people that are around us, the broken, broken people that are around us. And we'll recognize the brokenness in other people because we understand our own brokenness. So, I started the series by asking this question. I want to finish the series by asking this question. Are you going to be a window watcher or are you going to be a street dancer? Street dancers lose sometimes. It's true. You can be a risk taker and you can still lose. I remember looking at the management teams. I don't care. I'm not here to build a name for myself. It doesn't matter. I'd rather dance in the street and lose and to sit in the window and be scared out of my mind to be paralyzed by fear. And the weird thing, you know what? The weird thing for me is that it's not like I feel like that I'm courageous. <laughs> it's not that I feel like, look at me, I'm Billy Bad. You know, I mean, it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's, it's simply that there's, there's that self-discipline word. There's this, there's this peace. In the midst of the storm, there's a calm. And you can just say, you know what? I don't even care doesn't even matter to me. I'd rather dance in the street than to watch from a window. Where are you at? If you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe the reason that you're not is because of fear. 
Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. Maybe you've seen too many Christians and you said, boy, like if that's what it means like to be a follower of Jesus, like, I, don't, I don't want that. I don't have anything to do with that. Will you take your eyes off those people and just look at the incredible love of the Savior that gave his life on the cross for you? You know why? Because he just wants to be in a relationship with you. You know what God wants from you? He just wants you. He just wants you. That's all he wants. He wants my gifts and my abilities, and I'm going to be the next great what? No. You can dance in the street using the gift that God's given you with the kind of freedom that you cannot imagine. Because you know I am a child of the King. He loves me. I'm secure in that love. And I'm free. If you're here this morning, you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're tired of being locked away in a prison based on fear, then this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you'd like to be, every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Maybe you'd pray a prayer or something like this. Maybe, you know what? Maybe you just be honest right now and say, you know what, God, truth is, I've, ne- I've never trusted you as my Savior. I've never given you my life, surrendered my life fully to you out of fear. Fear of, of the unknown, fear of what will li- life be as a follower of Jesus. But right now, the power of God and the love of God and the presence of God is so overwhelming that you just want to give Him your life. So just tell Him. Just go ahead and say, you know what, God? I don't understand it all. But right now, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. I fully surrender my life to you. I know that you're alive because I can feel your presence. So forgive me of all my sin. Save me. Change me. Father, you're awesome. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word, Lord. Lord, the older I get, it it seems the more in love with your word that I become. God, it's not knowledge, God. It's, It's not just knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's not the acquisition of knowledge, Lord. It's it's getting closer to you. It's understanding you better, knowing who you are. And knowing who you are, God, is helps me understand who I am as your child. And Lord, the, knowing that, Lord, gives me strength and it gives me boldness and it gives me courage. It gives me freedom to walk. So, Lord, I just want to tell you that you're awesome. It's in your sweet name that we pray.